Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Well, today we're going to talk about toxic workplaces. Maybe you work in one because they're certainly out there, or maybe you've taken advantage of the opportunities that are there right now, and you recently left one. Because we do know that people are leaving jobs. We've talked on this podcast about the great resignation in some detail. We keep hearing the phrase because it's so descriptive. People are leaving jobs because they want something better. And that could be money or it could be opportunity. But oftentimes, they're looking for just a better place to work, a place where they feel more appreciated, a place where they're treated better, a place where they feel valued and they don't have a boss or an organization that they think is just toxic to their health and their well-being. But, you know, we have to ask, how does this happen? How do we create a situation where so many people actually are unhappy at work? What does it take to have an organization like that? And if you're trying to manage an organization, how do you avoid putting in people who are going to create this much unhappiness? How do you stop people from resigning because the people they report to are so toxic? Now, there have to be ways around this because obviously nobody wants to run a company like this. And just the reality is replacing people is expensive, a lot of trouble and something you want to avoid if you can. So how do you make sure you don't have a toxic workplace? Well, my guest today has put a lot of thought into all of that. His name is Charlie Sull, and he's the founder of a company called Culture X. As well, he's the co-author of an article I saw in the MIT Sloan Review on toxic cultures, which you know, gave me uh, a lot of things to think about. So I wanted to get him or one of his co-authors on, so he's representing them. And he's going to talk to us about the employee data he used to come up with the top reasons for attrition, as well as what managers can do to make sure their organizations avoid creating a toxic culture and avoid losing workers they really want to keep. I had a really great discussion with him. It was interesting to hear how he did the research and interesting to hear the conclusions. So really worth listening to. Please stay with us. avoid creating a toxic work culture and losing workers you want to keep with your company. My guest today is Charlie Sull. He's the co-founder of Culture X and the author of an article on why you are seeing so much in the way of resignations, why there are so many toxic work cultures out there, and how perhaps managers can turn that around. He joins me now. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here because there's so much to talk about when we're talking about toxic work. Uh, but I always like to ask my guests about their own backgrounds and how they ended up you know, studying what they're studying and doing what they're doing. Uh, yeah, sure. So this came out of research that we started about uh, six years ago. And before I started CultureX, I worked at another small boutique um, consulting firm that focused on strategy execution. So we would work closely with the top teams of organizations. Uh, and on the day of this story, we're working with the, the top team of the Gates Foundation. We wanted to be prepared for this session. We wanted to you know, go into this, uh, this session knowing what we were talking about. And we wanted a way to quickly come up to, come up to terms with uh, some of the most important uh, aspects of the organization. So because it's a private foundation, it's not a publicly traded company, there's not too much you can find about them in terms of financial reports or anything like that. But one resource we did find was Glassdoor. 
So Glassdoor was fairly new in those days, but not quite as many reviews as they have now. But even back then, they had uh, about 100 reviews of the Gates Foundation. And my uh, my co-founder, Don, and I, we just went through um, all these 100 reviews, and we manually coded them based on kind of our thought leadership, what we, th- what we thought was most interesting. We, we categorized the reviews into dozens of different topics. And based on that analysis, we identified five uh, key issues that we thought that the, the, the Gates Foundation senior leadership should be aware of um, that they would want to address. And when we took this analysis, the analysis, then we were a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say nervous, but we didn't quite know what to expect because we had never used Glassdoor as a, as a source of, uh, as a source of truth before. So we presented the findings and we, you know, gave, gave them a second to, to process and their reaction was overwhelmingly positive. So they said they had actually recently conducted a very systematic, very expensive, uh, you know, six figure uh, holistic cultural analysis. And it had actually come to the exact same conclusion as our couple of hours of Glassdoor analysis. Um, and they said that uh, they, 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 uh, their analysis had picked up on four of these, these key cultural factors. And actually now they were worried that they had missed the fifth that, um, that our Glassdoor analysis had uh, picked up on. So, I mean, the punchline of that story is we realized that there's this free text data in general and on Glassdoor specifically uh, really has this uh, abundance of insight, very valuable insight that's um, very relevant to uh, organizational leaders. But the problem is it's difficult to systematically uh, collect that insight because it takes a long time to read through these these reviews, I mean, the Gates Foundation only had about 100 reviews, but many large organizations will have uh, thousands and thousands of reviews. And if you really want to do a systematic analysis of this, you not only want to read the focal organization's reviews, but you want to be able to compare that to uh, a lot of peer organizations and you know, basically do a lot of uh, sophisticated uh, data science around this, um, looking at the uh, dozens or hundreds of different companies uh, systematically. Let's talk about the study that you published in the MIT Sloan Journal. Uh, you talked about why people are quitting work. And you had a lot of data, data, as you said, that you went through. What was the overriding conclusion? Why are people leaving in such large numbers? Well, there are a number of important drivers, but the single most powerful one that we found was uh, toxic culture. We found that toxic culture had over 10 times as powerful of a driving force as a uh, compensation. That's kind of a, an eye-opener to people because I think managers sometimes think if you throw a little bit of money at people, maybe they'll just stick around. And clearly, it's a lot more complicated than that. I suppose so. I mean, there are many factors at play, but it's not so complicated. I mean, basically, you just want to eliminate any signs of toxicity in the, in the culture. That was, uh, that's our main finding from this research. Now, how do you define toxicity, as you say? Uh, so that's actually the subject of uh, our next paper that we're releasing. But um, Basically, we find that uh, toxic traits can be bundled into five categories. So these are around disrespectful behavior, cutthroat behavior, downright abusive behavior, discriminatory behavior, and uh, unethical behavior. And those are the the five um, bundles that toxicity normally uh, takes on. How prevalent are these things in organizations? I mean, most organizations would say we, we fight against that. We don't have that here. Most would, but every organization, especially every large organization, has this to at least some extent. So one way you can do this is to, again, look at Glassdoor and um, look at how uh, often um, employees will say the, the culture is toxic or at least has signs of toxicity. 
And when you look across the uh, 600 or so largest employers in the United States, employees are going to say directly that the, the culture is toxic or poisonous um, about 1.3% of the time. But there's there's quite a lot of variance in that. So in some of the most toxic organizations that you'll see, and these are you know, household names, um, employees will directly say that the, the culture is toxic as often as uh, 4 or 5% of the time. But that's not necessarily the best metric because, um, you know, it's that's kind of hitting the nail on the head. But you also want to look at the the problem in a, a little bit less granularity. And when you look at all the, the individual uh, markers of toxicity, so they're they're not going to necessarily say this this culture is toxic, but they will say something like my manager is abusive or um, there is fraud going on here. For instance, there's unethical behavior. Um, when you take all of the markers of toxicity rather than just the direct um, mentions of it, of the toxic culture, that takes you to somewhere like on average of 10%, over 10% uh, of employees on Glassdoor are going to speak about some aspect of toxicity. And again, once you get to the most toxic cultures uh, that we found in our study, that can get you anywhere from 20 or even 25% of employees are saying um, on Glassdoor that the culture is toxic. Seems like such a high number. You looked at this by industry. Are there some industries that are more toxic than others? Yeah, absolutely. And this is also something we're going to cover in our uh, in our next paper. But just in terms of kind of general trends, um, toxicity tends to live in industries where there are high levels of frontline employees. So industries like um, grocery stores are, are relatively toxic. Uh, specialty retail, casual restaurants. Um, uh, fast food to a little bit of a lesser extent, but uh, it, it, there does seem to be this pattern where if um, employees are, you know, sort of thought of as lower than or second class or something like that, um, there's a greater tendency for them to be treated badly, which is, you know, very uh, upsetting that it's something that we see. Does this kind of culture attract individuals who like treating people like that? It does. It does appear to have some some impact with uh, with status because if you analyze toxicity by uh, by individual job title or by individual role level, um, you'll see this becomes less of an issue for for the most part. I mean, there are, there are exceptions. Kind of the, the higher you get um, in an organization, but even within toxic industries, there's great variance. I mean, just because you're in a certain industry doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to have a toxic uh, culture. And e- even if you're in a um, an industry with a very low amount of relative toxicity, like uh, uh, enterprise software or management consulting, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that your your culture isn't going to be toxic. So there, there, are, there are patterns um, by industry, but it's, it's certainly not destiny. Is there an example you're comfortable sharing like within an industry where one company is more toxic or less toxic than another? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share an example of less toxic. We're, we're not uh, you know going on record sharing um, more toxic examples yet. But um, uh, yeah, for instance, if you look at uh, health systems where there's there's quite a large amount of variance because, you know, it's, well, yes, there's variance. They're kind of complex institutions. They have providers, but they also have nurses. They also have support functions, which are a little bit um, lower level and at higher risk of toxicity. Um, you know, the point is that there's, there's a lot of variance in that industry. But you have one um, firm, St. Jude Children's Hospital, which has very, very low levels of toxicity. So there, it's still mentioned a little bit in every large organization. 
it's going to be mentioned a little bit. But in that organization, it's only mentioned 0.2% of the time, uh, which is uh, uh, very, very low. And we actually, um, we have a feature that we uh, released last year called the Culture Champions that looks at some of the most remarkable cultures um, in the United States across a variety of dimensions. And uh, St. Jude's is, is on that list. Okay, so you're an expert in culture. If you're an organization, you say we want to have a culture that is going to bring in the best people, keep them there. What are the things you should be thinking of? Well, I mean, just drawing, there, there are a couple of, of ways to think about that. But just drawing from this study, the, the single most important thing is you want to be aware of toxicity. And a couple of important things about toxicity to keep in mind is it's not binary, it's a spectrum. So every large organization is going to have some pockets of toxicity and even cultures that are very healthy overall, this can affect them. This can still lead to attrition. If in those isolated pockets, this issue exists, then that can cause um, employees to leave in, in those pockets. So from the perspective of retention, um, our main takeaway from our research right now is all around um, identifying these toxic microcultures within the organization um, and addressing that behavior. And there's also, um, you know, there, there are some other things you can, our research, our most recent research has found, um, you can do to increase uh, retention in a relatively low cost way. Uh, we found actually that lateral promotions can be highly effective, more, more effective even than compensation uh, in retaining employees. We've found that social events um, are, uh, are a very, very low cost and actually very effective way to kind of build the culture and keep uh, people together and keep people engaged with the organization. Um, and then we've also found that uh, getting remote work right, perhaps a little bit unsurprisingly, is, is important. And also making sure that people's um, schedules are right, but in a specific direction, that the schedule is predictable. Um, when employees speak positively about having a predictable schedule, you can see that is uh, a pretty strongly, a pretty powerful driver of, uh, of low attrition. No, I can understand that. I mean, changing things up on people and not telling them, you know, the bigger picture, uh, it seems to never play well. Are there things that stand out to you as just really good example, sorry, good examples of why people are leaving? I mean, you mentioned the things you know that companies can do to keep people there, the social events. But are there any triggers that make people resign? Because we've been talking a lot about the Great Resignation. Well, I mean, I'm quite familiar with this because a large part of what I do, or at least what I used to do back in the early days of this uh, this research, was manually read through. Uh, thousands or tens of thousands of, of Glassdoor reviews, as well as uh, internal comments from engagement surveys and so forth. And it was very clear when they spoke about these elements of toxicity that it had a strong, strong negative reaction on them emotionally, and that it was it was going to lead them to do something drastic, like uh, leave the company or at least be very checked out from the company. So you know, I, I remember. The, the quotes are most vivid normally when they when they speak about a toxic leader. Like I remember this this one quote. Um, uh, he is he's full of chaos and terribleness or something. <laughs> I can't remember the exact quotes, but basically, whenever you whenever you see employees speak about a couple of these key issues, and the, not surprisingly, these are terrible things. You know, like racial discrimination or gender discrimination or um, uh, downright abusive behavior, a manager shouting at employees, or uh, a lack of ethics, a manager, you know, bending the rules or not being honest, lying to employees, or cutthroat behavior, you know, if, if you have this very adversarial relationship uh, with your coworkers where you're always fighting and um, 
you know, everyone's kind of out to get each other. Um, these not only make you negative about your organization in the same way that say, uh, you know, having a bad IT system is going to make you negative about your organization. These actually make you have a strong uh, emotional uh, impact. They, they have a strong emotional impact. They're going to, that is going to um, make you feel very strongly that you, uh, you shouldn't be working here. It's interesting because we know there's bad managers. You could have a grocery store chain with one store with a really bad manager, but do you have a feel for how much it comes from the top? I mean, is it C-suite driven or is it just kind of bad luck? Yeah, this is, we're, we're still kind of in our preliminary uh, findings about what exact role uh, the top team has on uh, toxicity. So, I mean, one way to think about toxicity is these are isolated microcultures, isolated pockets within the organization, and they're kind of just living autonomously and, um, you know, doing bad stuff, but they're kind of doing bad stuff in isolation. And another way to think about toxicity is um, there are certain um, certain aspects of toxicity that leadership is responsible for um, from a more centralized position. And then this is going out to all of the company. It's kind of making all of the organization a little bit more toxic, um, albeit to different extents. Uh, so that, there's kind of two ways of thinking about that. And right now, um, most of our research is is around identifying um, these microcultures uh, because even re regardless of this the status of leadership, um, there are going to be certain pockets of toxicity that you're going to be want want to be uh, more aware of, and it's very important that you find those. Um, but to give a you know a short kind of preview of our upcoming research, too, uh, yes, leadership is also intimately uh, connected to uh, a relatively more or less toxic culture, and they're going to play a, a very important role in shaping that. Interesting that you've read all those reviews. You mentioned some of the bad ones. What do people say about good cultures? Um, well, so this was actually our, um, our uh, not our last article, but the article before that. The, the uh, title of that article was, what are the 10 things you need to get right about your culture? And there we uh, used a, um, a sophisticated, Nobel Prize cited um, methodology to identify what are the most, most powerful drivers of a positive um, as well as a negative rating on Glassdoor? And the single um, uh, thing you want to get right about your culture that that article found was respect. So it turns out that respect goes in both directions. So as I mentioned, if you have an a disrespectful culture, uh, that's going to cause you to have very negative, uh, very emotive sentiment against the organization. But it turns out that respect works both ways. So if you um, are actively saying that I feel like my my boss treats me like a human being. I feel like I'm not just a number here. I feel like I'm you know part of the family. It goes into inclusivity a little bit. Um, then you're going to have a very very positive uh, a positive take on the company. You're going to have a high glass door review. And a couple other topics that I I mean you know we've done pretty sophisticated correlation analysis on this, but a couple of key findings that make up a healthy culture for the most part. Um, communication also often plays a larger role, and the communication can go both ways. Uh, this can either be about uh, or more about transparency and frequent communication and kind of leaders just making everyone know that they're on the same page, or it can also be more around honest discussion. Charlie, thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Charlie Saul is founder of Culture X. 
Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Charlie and about his work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at Relentless Eco. Now, if you did enjoy this conversation about, well, toxic cultures in this case, but about the future of work in general, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people find podcasts and will really help people find us and help us continue these conversations. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. <laughs>